Welcome to the Behind the Surface podcast presented by the International Surface Fabricators Association. ISFA exists to serve industry professionals involved in the fabrication of manufactured surfacing materials. With each episode, Behind the Surface inspires fabricators to take their business to the next level. Now with your host, Nancy Bush. Well, welcome everyone, and thanks for listening in to the Behind the Surface podcast brought to you by ISPA. And this episode is brought to our friends from DuPont. Uh, super excited for today's guest, Mark Woodman, who is a passionate designer, a trend spotter, writer, and speaker, and certified instructor. He's designed interiors, consulted on diverse product lines, like the one for DuPont, right, Mark? Oh, absolutely and contributed to the pages and airwaves of media and the stages of international exhibitions. And Mark, I just wanna hear a little bit right out of the gate, what you do uh, with DuPont and, and what that looks like. That has been, and thank you. Thank you for having me and for, for sponsoring this moment. We have, we have great fun talking about all of these things. I do, it's certainly a, a lifelong passion for color and design that comes all the way back to my grandparents and my parents. So it's it's something I just do every day, just sort of as a daily existence. Um, I, I get to work with lots of the team from DuPont from the manufacturing side of it, the R&D side to the reps, kind of, sort of keeping up with them because they're in the field every day. Uh, to my colleagues in the marketing team. So we look, I'm always looking at all aspects of it. You know, if we say, oh, that's kind of interesting. Well, how will we tell people that? How will we get that word across? So it goes from a concept of a design or an aesthetic to, well, how do we get that across to people well? And of course, the whole time I'm thinking, where does it come from? You know, why, why are we even doing this? So you try to put that through. It's it's a lot of times when when I write the the um the copy sometimes for the individual aesthetics. And in the back of my head, I'm always thinking to myself, define it, don't just describe it. Anyone can say it's gray with dark grain veining and some beautiful off-white particulates and translucence, and that's great. But if you give it a more transcendent feeling for that, if you can define that it's that it exhibits a lightness or is, you know, it gives you a freshness or a brightness to a space because it needs to react to people's needs for a brighter outlook. And I'm just kind of pulling things out of the air right now. Um, and then it gets edited in the writing process and we work through it a little better. Uh, but it's it's all those things coming through. So it's really kind of all encompassing. It's never just one. It truly is a team effort. I know that's that's used a lot, but it, but it really is because we have so many players and you're always asking you know, someone's opinion on something, especially out on the field, I go, well, what, what would we really need? And my role and some of my other team members' roles is to then take that and say, well, that's good for right now. We have to look a couple of years out because that's what we're always looking for with new product, um, with completely new aesthetics, or is there an update to an aesthetic we have or a line extension? So for instance, um, just, just this year was just launched last month at um, IBS or International Builder Show, the kitchen and bath industry show. And we relaunched two new woods and they were redone from what we had launched before. And the aesthetic is even better. So the technology came along. We thought 
We knew the colors were right, but we needed to tweak the color slightly because they're different names. They're different. They're not the same thing as they were, but they're in the new wood family because we know the importance of woods as an aesthetic and then translating that into solid surface. So you have all the great attributes of a solid surface material with the aesthetic as um, aesthetics uh, um, assets of wood, of the look of it in two versions, a light and a dark. So these are a couple of things that we've been looking at. These are some sort of general things that we've watched over the last number of years and that I see looking also. And then you translate through the importance of light and dark because there is still, I, I caught this, I noticed this happening and was very affirming at KBiz IBS since they're sort of co-shows where lots of dark neutrals. So the neutral is still out there and we will still see that. And there are still some grays, although that has, has moved very much towards beige. We've been talking about that for a few years. And beige being the center point of an entire range going from, we'll talk about coffee culture, from the lightest latte to the deepest espresso. And everyone beige sort of sits right in the middle of it. But it's that full range of these sort of comfortable browns, ivories, off-whites, beiges, tan sands, all of that, that translates into these moments of comfort that is helping us move out of the pandemic, move further in design um, and as far as product is concerned. So what goes into the human space is what the human hopefully needs or desires um, in, their, in their design space. Uh, but I also, but looking at these darker, so that was one side of it as sort of a neutral-ish um, definition for the color, for the colors, I should say. Um, on the other side, I was seeing all these darker neutrals. And we just launched a whole new series of, of blacks. There were four blacks and then really dark black, black, brown, gray that came out of courts last year, 21. Um, gosh, it's not last year anymore. It's now two years ago. <laughs> How astounding is that, Nancy? <laughs> it's unbelievable. It, it happened really, so fast. It really, it really did. I mean, it's, it's May, March already in 23. We're almost a quarter into the year already. Um, but seeing more of those and seeing some really dark sort of brownish grays and then some still charcoal gray. So it's not great. It's gone very charcoal, very deep and dark, starting to move towards black. So there's still very neutral, but it's a very different world of neutrality, which is really cool because they have a, a depth to them. And the depths are interesting. People want to be deeper. They want to think about things. They want to look, go to. They want to go to the far reaches of deep space. They want to go to the deepest parts of the ocean because it's all about discovery. And I think this is one of the key things that's been different about really dark colors is what they carry inside. There's something deep about them. They're not just a lack of color or it's like, well, yeah, black's always around. That's no big deal. And it's not true. It is a big deal. As a matter of fact, um, for 2023, uh, the, a color called bold, B-O-H-L-D. The H is silent because it it has inner strengths that it doesn't talk about. Um, it was kind of a little bit of joke. Was the key color for North America from Color Marketing Group for this year. And wow. it has shown up in product lines across the board. We've seen it already in fashion, which, and you, and you know, and someone will say, well, yeah, black and fashion, not a big deal. It's carrying all the way to summer, which you generally don't see that that far. It tends to be, colder climbs, we do the black, then you do whites and do lighter colors. And that's all sort of changing a little bit. Um, it's still happening in home. It's happening more outside of kitchen. It was a big trend for a while in kitchen, or it still remains that way with black cabinetries. The 
shift on that is doing the all black space um that is no longer just like a single wow look at that one room isn't that cool they did black but we'll never do that and consumers and design clients are far more willing to discuss that and look at that and consider the entire space and I had a conversation actually with a client since I'm still a practicing designer and we talked about doing something all black they had seen this very key feature of a butler's pantry all done in black and they said oh that was really cool I said I don't know about doing something in all black I said well you would do it all in white what's the difference it's just an all something of one color or all blue or all green why not do that and then you sort of saw the light bulb I saw the light bulb go off over their head they went yeah that makes perfect sense when you think you know if you put it in those terms um and it said it's but it's different I mean it will it will absorb a lot of light the space will feel darker but at the same time it will feel expansive because it's very difficult to know where when dark colors that dark where they start and where they end I mean personally I think black ceilings are just phenomenal because you don't really know is the ceiling eight foot or 20 feet overhead it just because you lose the perception of the space because of that so sometimes really dark colors like that and and I say this to to um other designers and people in different fields uh with, within design so, so kitchen and bath designers and certainly retailers and fabricators that are involved very intimately with cut with customers it's like you know don't don't just don't let yourself be afraid of this you know here here are the really good things about this that that can really make or break um, a space to be completely unique and different but we also were looking at the definition of dark colors and what they mean to people and it's there's actually an emergence from the dark um that people are seeing and using them so there's all all these kind of crazy definitions it can start sounding a little esoteric at times uh but uh but they when we come back to looking at what humans like to do in living what they need in their space we are constantly striving to meet those needs um and then one of the things or not one one of the many things we look at beyond just surface is what else is going to the design space so let's well let's just talk about a kitchen for a moment and what goes in there so I like at kbiz for instance it's, it's all so concentrated you know we do this all throughout the year but it's kind of nice when you're at one show for a while and then I will look at what the cabinetry companies are doing uh what are the plumbing companies what are the fix you know plumbing fixtures what are they doing what are the hardware people uh I'll look at the pot the people who do pots and pans you know Staub or Le Creuset or anything what kind of colors are they introducing because I know at the end of the day our product has to work with all of those it has to coordinate with those pieces and engage with them so what do our counters surfacing materials whether it's solid surface or quartz or the new Endura porcelain the high performance porcelain what do those have what are those going to be engaging with let's say cabinetry white is still very very popular it's going to be around for a while although at some point there's like 70 different versions of white that's going under cabinets so then you have to look is it cool is it warm you know how do you edit around that but there's a lot of wood and I so I talked to a number of the manufacturers and there and this is in different markets around the country as well they're seeing anywhere from a 20 to 35 percent uptick currently in people asking for stained wood in their kitchens and it may not be the entire thing it may be an island or the lower cabinets with another you know with a white or something else above them 
but it's it was it was eye-opening we were anticipating it in trend world we were watching for it it's part of an entire return to nature we've always had nature and ecology but again this is sort of slightly coming out of the pandemic people realized how desperately they needed to be engaged with nature during that time period you know when we were quarantined the one thing you wanted to do was go outside as, as much as you could get fresh air, see that nature was coming back, nature was blooming, things were growing back up again, you know, they disappeared in the fall and winter, and they came back again in spring. So if those daffodil and tulip bulbs can do it, so can we. And sounds, you know, that's a little rah-rah, but it's, but there's great truth to it for humanity, for human beings when they're engaging their design space. So I like to look at those macro things, what's happening, and, and then how do we translate all these things? And at the same time, look and see, what else is going on in the space? Uh, it's always fun to see what Le Creuset is doing with pottery or Staub or any of the, the sort of the higher end because we like to look. I mean, I have some really classic plain little, you know, copper pots and things for the kitchen, but a few nicer pieces as well. They're investment pieces. People are willing to invest in those much as they're willing to invest in expensive stand mixers or a really, really nice range. And you want to be at that level. You want something beautiful that works with those pieces and then and helps tell part of your story. Um, and then God, this is gonna sound crazy, but matches the things you have in the room. You know, how do you how do you make all that work? They need to go together. Yeah, yeah. We, and we can't create it in in a bubble. And of course, we look at what our competitors are doing and they do to us as well. Everyone always watches that. But we know at the end of the day, there are other elements going in the space that we really have to key in on. Um, there's one appliance company that you have the option of changing the handles on them, which is, they're, they're just beautiful pieces. They're really well thought through. They're very simple. It's a, um, a matte white, a matte black, or stainless steel as far as the casing is concerned. But then you can choose from a black and stainless steel or a burnished copper or a matte gold. or And you can just, you know... It, it's interesting. You can do it online and kind of play with these things once in a while and say, well, let's look at a, what, what is a black refrigerator with a black stainless steel handle look like? Oh, you know, it's very cool. It's very kind of um, moody and rich and has, has a really interesting different vibe to it. You could say, yes, I, I bought a punk refrigerator because I did these color combinations together or goth refrigerator. You know, you can look at some of these other sort of fashion influences to that. And then you take that same matte black refrigerator and put gold handles on it and it elevates it to a completely different level and it becomes a little black dress with beautiful jewelry, kind of does that. Um, we actually did that with black goldstone, which is one of the quartz products that has little bits of sort of gold in it, but it's not metallic gold because we didn't want it to get glitzy looking. But if you do a gold toned or a, a, a matte metallic gold faucet with it or handles or something like that it visually pulls the gold out of it if you don't have that and you use a different color with it a you know a high gloss black faucet or something it just kind of sits and it stays in the space and just creates a different depth but there's a little bit of this gold and color in there but it doesn't look metallic-y so it, it was a an interesting balance to not make that specific one um and that was black goldstone um uh, so we, we didn't want to make it too obvious um, but the pieces that go with it, as the gold metallics are trending forward, as we were developing that, we thought, okay, here's how we can make this look really interesting. 
And then of course we experimented because someone may not want that. I'm, I'm not doing black. I still want a really nice satin nickel faucet. It's what I have in my house. I'm sticking with that. And you look and go, it still works. Nice. So, Are you seeing a lot of uh, matte finish interest? Oh God. And, yes. and just sort of that mix too, right? Of, of finish, regardless of color, just the finish mix. So the different it, color, different finish, finishes, same color. Finish was very important. Um, I've seen that at the shows and um, texture is very important. Mm -hmm. Some some version of texture, whether it's a sort of a gritty, like a little sandy sort of texture or a leathered finish where you have kind of the crinklings and veining that leather gets in it, uh, pebbled finishes and any of those um, are proving to be more and more popular all the time and there's more being asked for. What we've done, um, what I do, specifically when I look at it is try to marry the finish with the aesthetic of the material uh because some material like so for instance I'll use concretes and um cement aesthetics which are great looks for industrial post-industrial design even what I call fine-tuned industrial which is of a new version which is you know far more in depth and shiny it's got more polished things to it it's not dirty industrial it's a really refined industrial hence the name um those look odd cements don't look quite spot on in polished looks so when we launched them they were all matte they were of an, a new a version of a matte finish because they look right that way and there are polished concretes absolutely i've seen polished concrete floors in places i've seen some countertops but most customers don't they're not looking for that when you think of concrete you think of a matte flat finish Maybe with, maybe with a little grit to it, but then not always, because then people are concerned, like, how do I clean that? Is that easier to clean? And then the nature of the material makes it inherently very cleanable. But our heads don't always make it clean that cleanable because of the texture. We think differently. So that's that's a little bit of consumer rethinking um, on product. And then once you have it, you're like, oh, this is a, this is easy, you know, to work with. And so... But yeah, but matte, and I saw a lot of matte going on in, in, in sinks and things. There were a lot of matte sinks at the show, which follows follows a direction. I mean, we were anticipating it. We've done like the number of the pieces that came out um, were matte finishes, both in quartz and in, in porcelain. And then there was more of it showing up. I saw actually a, some handles that were done in matte. So they would do like a matte leather with a gold or a stainless steel finish and a metallic to kind of play those two off. So it was that mixed material, mixed, mixed finishes when you were saying earlier. Um, I'm a fan of actually mixing sheen levels of the same, if it's available, of the same aesthetic and the same color. So like, uh, let's say an island, for instance, it maybe has a work surface on one side of it. And maybe that side has the high polish because it's easy, you see what's going on, you see things easy that are on, if something spills while you're cooking or doing all that, it wipes down real quick and fast and you're done. And then on the other side of the island where maybe there's a breakfast bar, you put you you butt join them and put the exact same color, the exact same aesthetic in a matte finish because that seems quieter. Matte finishes, the leathers, a lot of those are also seem quieter to consumers. They read them as quieter and more inviting in that respect. They also don't reflect as much light so if you have hanging fixtures to use the island as an example still, if you have um, overhead fixtures, the light is much softer there because it doesn't reflect as much. So if you're sitting there eating, it feels like a more relaxing experience. But when you first walk in, 
you don't see like you split your island into thirds and two, you know, third and two thirds or whatever, or, you know, however your, your geometry is on it. So it's a neat, it's a neat way of playing with it. And it engages the eye. Then people look and go, wow, this is the same thing, but look how it looks this way and look at how it looks that way. It's just fun. It's really interesting, uh, you know, the, the correlation between uh, what naturally looks good and then everything that goes into creating that what looks good, right? So when we're talking about development of colors and all that you go through to develop these colors and all the thinking and the story behind them and what happens there versus, you know, um, you know, maybe a customer and the expectation and what they think of a of a mat versus a gloss and all of those things. It's really intriguing. And so for a fabricator, it probably could be overwhelming at times, right? All of that, all of that energy that goes into creating these colors. And so um, I guess my question for you would be, if you were if you were on the other side of the process rather than the developing of the colors and and the side that you're on now and looking forward let's say you are um, creating a stocking program or you're working with customers you know end end users in that format what sorts of things in the next two years do you think uh, make sense to add to an offering that maybe isn't there now um they I would absolutely be looking at quote of that word of beige, the world of beige. Um, a course that I taught, a part of the course was called "Beige is not a dirty word," so, <laughs> so we, can, we can get over that. Um, I would I would add that to it, but not do that and then throw out the grays too fast. Yeah, because they're still out there. This so it's it's going to be a merging of those, and sometimes a literally a literal merging of those colors together in one aesthetic. Grage, uh, grage, they call yes. it. Yep. Yep. Um, or it could be, so we're looking at some of the development of that. We're doing something that's has a beige, and I'm using that as an all-encompassing term, it could be sand, tan, any number of variations. So we'll just use that as a simple one that may have a little bit of gray veining in it. So, so for instance, someone who has gray cabinetry and wants to move beyond that and say, okay, let's freshen this a little bit. Well, you can do that. You can put that color in, it's got a little gray veining in it. It's like, so there's a relationship to it without going too overboard and thinking, well, now my pieces don't look right. So I would definitely look at that. I would actually embrace the dark a little bit more. And I know people are a little fearful of it sometimes, and it probably won't fly off the shelves like some others do, but there is more and more interest in it. And you're, you're on the forefront at that point um, as this turns. So the time period in trend and the acceptance of trend for almost pro for product lines almost across the board we see it as in very specifically in color but it can work this way in designs as well and there tends to be at the short cycle probably an eight to ten year span between the the original innovators the people who saw this these things before anybody else did and then the early adopters and the adopters and it goes all through to the final people who i it, the term officially is laggards and it doesn't sound very nice, but it's just literally it's because they've been lagging behind and now they're comfortable with it. I don't think it's a bad thing. They just have to be comfortable with it. But it's that, that long a time period. If you look at the, the, the movement of gray that we've had, where it finally hit big a few years ago when everyone really finally started gearing up for it, it started around 2008, 2009. It's had a long run. 
uh, where people are finally really going, yeah, I really like this. And of course, now we're going, we need, it needs to warm up. <laughs> we need to get away from the cool monastery, you know, kind of the cold grays and it needs to warm up so we can still have them, but we, it's got to have this warm undertone. So maybe perhaps instead of saying beige, think in terms of warmth. Look at, look at, I'd look at my palette and go, is this too cool? Do I have enough warmth for people who need to have warm environments, who need to feel comfortable in their spaces and warm colors really do help do that. And that's sort of a generalization. So the whites, you know, look at warm, what kind of warm whites do I have if I have, because white's not going away. Stark, sharp white tends not to happen in cabinetry. Most of the manufacturers are looking at a slightly toned white of some kind tone well tone means is the grayness of it but a little bit of warmth to the color you still need a, a nice clean pure white to work with um the, the the warmth of the beiges but the warmth can play into any number of other colors as well and i'll talk about color in a moment uh but specific color do all those in terms of aesthetics veining will always be popular we're starting to see a softening of the vein of veins and that, that we think will be important. We've done that. We did that with, our, with the Artista line, for instance, in solid surface, um, just kind of quiet it a little bit. And it's easier for people to work with. There will still be room for a statement island or vertical applications because there, there's a lot more vertical application of material. I don't want to discount tile work or anything like that on a backsplash. But what opens a lot of spaces up is running the counter material up the back wall um, all the way up and having a continuous look to the color or the aesthetic of that. It feels um, it actually opens it up a little bit more instead of having all these stop stop points like here's my base cabinet, here's the counter, here's the wall with tiles, here's more cabinetry above that. And it kind of keeps the flow moving. So it actually makes it feel bigger in an interesting in an interesting sense. Uh, so looking at those and then having an eye on some of those aesthetics thing, I could get double duty out of what I'm offering because I can easily suggest this as a vertical application as well as a horizontal application. And a lot of people don't think about this. And, and I've learned to think this a lot of times with surfaces is that when people sitting in their kitchens, a lot of times they don't see their countertops. They only see them when they're standing there, but they sit in their, in their dining room across from it or their breakfast nook or certainly in, in open plan spaces. And you don't get to see them. Well, how nice it is to have that run up the walls partially or behind your range and actually get to enjoy the beautiful aesthetic that you've worked into the space. And then it's a really great way of, of showing material and moving material forward as well. Uh, so, so looking at, at veining aesthetics to look at some of those that are a little softer, have some neat, you know, have some a few bold things in there. You will always have use for that, but but start to think in this slightly quieter moment. And there were there were quiet moments that we need to have as well, but they can't be boring. There has to be something there, so it still has to have some depth and have, and be interesting looking. I'm watching a return of smaller particulates, of small little flecks and things of of colors or like little tiny pebbles and sand working into a surface. Um, and it makes sense if the timing is right uh, coming in the next couple of years to see some of those things come through and to revisit things that we've had in collections that are have always been great sellers, but you tend to not look at and go back and go, gosh, you know, that one with the little, the little flex in there is really kind of cool looking and I can do the following things with this. Um, so it's still kind of across the board, I think. 
fabricators, everybody is looking at how do we edit our line to have the best possible world. That's always hard uh, because somebody will say, oh, this is this is something new and interesting. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, well, that throws my pieces off a little bit from there. Well, how do I incorporate that? Which is one of the things we're always trying to do. How does this make sense within the collection um, and evolve the collection? So that's another word I think they should use. I said warmth. I think the evolution of their lines makes sense as well. What do they have? What's in the warehouse? that could help that further. So they can say, gee, I, I have all these new lines, but they're working really well with this. I mean, we can make a you know connection between these two uh, within the space. And so, so a little bit, it comes down to the editing. Uh, you and I had a conversation a long time, just casually one day about, about editing and not only helping your customers do that, but even on your own. So you have to look also at what do you really like to sell? Because if you don't like it personally, you may not show it to your customers. And, and I mean, this just an aesthetic level. Also, some things are really hard to work with. And so it's really important to, to talk that through with people as well and say, well, you have a really interesting shape space. Here are some of the issues we may have with this. Let's talk this through to kind of educate them. I think, I think fabricators educating their customers is great and key. They don't have to learn to be fabricators or installers. But if they understand a little bit of what's going on, rather than just saying that won't work, you can't leave it at that because that just means people feel like, well, and if they don't ask why, because they're afraid to ask why, because they don't know about it. And then if you tell them, you've got friends for life, say this won't work because, you know, I can't get these veins to do what you want them to do. That's a really simple answer or example on that one. Uh, but it's a really good way of getting rapport going. Um, for sure. And then it helps your editing process as well. It's like, well, I, I really need the following things from my market, from my consumers, um, no matter what their generation is, or for that matter, even price point. But I've also found personally that if people really love it, they're willing to take a step up or two steps to something else saying, I really like this, but oh, I never thought about that. That's great looking. And it's kind of within the wheelhouse. It's warm, it's comfortable, it has movement in it. And I really like that. So yeah, that'll be even better in my space. Um, I tend not to, I a lot of times don't, I don't go on price. Um, certainly with residential customers, sometimes they'll come in and go, well, I, you know, I have this much to spend. But I think when they do that, they are shorting themselves. And I think they're shorting the design process as well, because they don't know the price difference from one to the next. And this isn't necessarily that much. They just think it is. So they don't want to look further. It's like, well, no, let's, let's take a look at it. And we'll run, see what this costs and then look at the difference. Right. Because apart from, you know, variances know. with patterns and the way that the fabricator has to deal with that labor wise, but labor's labor's labor, right? So there's, there's that conversation. So you're compromising, you know, what material selection you're, finding based on, you know, based on something that's not as big a picture as maybe it really is. And that's an, that's an excellent point. And it, it's, it's spot on, because uh, it's going to cost the same pretty much yeah. to put one, one or the other. So why not show the other one that maybe may better answer their, their query. And, and that's a couple of things like with the editing, um, when talking to their, to their customers, get a feel for things. You like big, bold things, you know, you'll look at how are they 
you know, how do they dress? Do they, are they making kind of a statement? Are they kind of low key and casual? How do they live? You know, you, you, you ask some of those questions, you know, but not all of them um, all the time, because it's, you know, there's a little time, but it doesn't have to take a long time to open up a piece and they say, oh, well, I really don't like, you know, we'll, we'll, and we'll ignore what directional trends are for the moment to say, well, I, I really don't like, you know, cold colors or gray. They won't, they usually won't talk in color temperature, but well, I don't like gray. That's kind of dead. Or I have to wear a gray suit at work every day. I don't want to see any gray when I come home. Okay. That just eliminated that section for the most part. However, there's a warm gray. So, you know, you have wood cabinetry. This would be a really nice movement to that. Let me show you the difference between these two. And they get that or you go, but I can eliminate all of these. So right away, you've taken part of it out. So it makes the decision-making decision process um, easier for consumers. And then I think for fabricators and retailers as well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an editing process. We forget that you know, what we're helping people do is edit their choices. So they still have choices. Um, so they go down from 103 or 48 or whatever it is, they're down to three or four that kind of makes sense. And maybe there's, you know, the outlier. There's some, there's a a couple of television shows I watch from England about buying properties. And one of them, they always show the things that are kind of the nice ones. And they always have the surprise house that doesn't really meet the expectations of their customers. But or I think they call it the mystery house in one of the shows, but they always save it for last. And they walk through and they go, oh, it's like it was a different size or it was in a different part of a town or one or it's one village over because the show's from England. And they hadn't thought of doing that, but they see this great property and think, oh, it's only 10 minutes further away. I don't mind that. That's OK. So they they move away just with one extra one um, from what they thought they wanted to what may just really get them going and get their juices flowing and they get real excited about it, that they wouldn't have considered, but that still, you know, it still has a little bit. It's not saying I would like, you know, a very simple aesthetic with, you know, in, in beige with some white flecks in it. You walk in and say, here's a black with huge white veining running through it and certain silver sparkles. You know, it's not necessarily that far. You maintain some level of what they're looking for. <laughs> In that, but you give them a little bit of surprise. There's something in your back pocket that makes them kind of like, oh, I wouldn't have thought of that. That's cool. And that's, but that just becomes part of the editing process. Um, but, uh, but to come back to your, your initial part of the question, because I love it, Nancy, you and I can, you can, we can do this. Um, look at, looking at the warmth and then, and sort of balancing it as best you can once you kind of get your, your clientele in your area. Um, does it tend to go lighter? Does it, you know, can we can we go darker and start to introduce some of those things? But absolutely have a few darker things if you don't want to go all the way to black, but you should at least you know, have one or two options in that. Most everyone does, but if you're building a specific collection for yourself, um, look at look at having those. But if you're a little worried about that, look at look at sort of some darker grays, you know, some neat charcoals and things that people feel a little more comfortable in. And absolutely right now, look at dark browns. They are coming down the pike. Um well, even even the black, even black is warming. It is. Everything's kind of warming up. That's really yep. the story that we're that we're hearing is that everything's kind of warming up. And um, as you know, I'm a huge fan of color temperature as a filter, right? I think it's uh, fairly quickly relatable to most people, right? And so um, I I think that's a great suggestion. You know, the beige isn't bad. 
It's not. It's not. It's always been good. <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing. Page is a good thing, especially all of its all of its versions. Um, and the and the other ones are. I I had a, a silly quote one day, and it was kind of a little bit of a joke in an interview. And they said, you know, what are what are bad colors? And I I thought for a second, and I thought. You know, because you in your personally in your head, you go, oh, yeah, I probably wouldn't do that. And then I thought, no, that's not true. There really are no bad colors, just colors done bad, <laughs> which, of course, is incredibly grammatically incorrect. But, <laughs> but it makes perfect sense. And that's what counts, Mark. Yeah, know, yeah. Funny, a... I always say that there there is no just like life. There's no perfect material. Nope. It really isn't. And, and so, but there's a perfect material for the application. And that's so true. And it's the same with color. There's really, you know, there's really no bad color. I love that so much. It's so true. There's no bad color, just bad application. Yeah, there's just, no bad dogs either, by the way. Yeah, absolutely not. No, never. never. <laughs> Sometimes owners, but not dogs. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not the dog's fault. They're, exactly. they're the purest of all. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. But it's really, I think, I think the theme is, uh, you know, other than warming up and cozying up a little bit after everything the world's been through. But I really think the theme is really all about that um, education part, you know, to the consumer um, and taking that time. Um, and making some really great decisions about potential inventory that really reflect, you know, where where the world's sort of heading, but leaving that sort of safe space that for those that still maybe want the cool that it's available in some form that relates. And, and it will always be there. There will always be gray flannel suits and gray pants and silver cars. And, you know, we, we will have those things in our lives. So there's nothing, <laughs> there's, not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> To quote one of the more famous lines from Seinfeld. Um, I told you this was going to turn into a Seinfeld episode. Absolutely. And, see, and here we are. And here we are. And here, here we are. Um, oh my goodness. I love but it. it. But yeah, but it, it's, it winds up um, that editor, that editor editing, sorry, that editing element is key. Mm -hmm. And it's also, it's not only good for, to help a client get to where they need to be which makes the fabricator's life easier in the end because then no one's upset no one everyone's happy they, everyone has a good expectations, feeling expectations yes but it's also really good research that people don't always think about for the fabricator you know if you're going through this process with lots of or or the retailer i mean i i i, I pull it through across across the board because so many of them do both and there are so many companies that, that are involved in in both ends of that um that you're learning all the time too from your clientele in your market. Um, and, you know, and I'll add someone client as their clientele is actually the, the design community. Um, talking to the kitchen retailers um, and the, the kitchen designers or even interior designers. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not making it, you know, I, I come from my experience, not making it about me, but I work with my clients on the aesthetics, but then we go to a professional kitchen designer to have the best work done um, from the vision. So I'm helping my clients interpret the vision because I also know what's going on in the rest of the space, which the kitchen and bath people may not know. They may not be privy to all that information. I, you know, I can help share that, but I also know that they're, they know what they're doing. They're the specialists in what they're doing very specifically. I want them to come back and say, oh, that's not a good idea to do that in this space. You know, it's great that you're thinking about that. It's beautiful, everything laid out, but you need to pivot a little bit here. And then, like I said earlier, and then say why, 
but involve everybody um, and sort of get that because then they're learning as well. They're seeing what's happening in the field. And I think it's key for designers and fabricators to be able to have um, some language together, even if it's their own made up secret language that they have of learning so that designers learn better how to specify yes. um, from beyond aesthetics, but also product line. It's like you just said a moment ago, there are, are ideal products for all different applications. And not everybody knows that, gee, maybe, you know, you, you have this porcelain might be absolutely the best thing to put on this surface. And it's still a growing material in a certainly in awareness and use, but there are times when it's really, really just spot on, especially outdoors. If people, the outdoor, you know, a lot of more outdoor living spaces being created, then people wouldn't know that. Say, well, I could use this. Like, well, you could, but this is better, and here's why. And then you go, oh, fine. Well, let's talk about that for a moment, and then you know better. And then again, it comes back to the point we kind of both made. Everyone's happier in the end, and you've got the right product. Um, and there was something I saw a long time ago it was a thing used for a paint company it was the right product for the right job at the right price yeah. that they were using as a, as a, a tagline um, saying, you know, don't just get one thing, look at everything across the board, which is why we have the choices and why we, within those choices, there are aesthetics. We try to satisfy aesthetics across three product lines. Um, sometimes it works better than others. You know, sometimes you don't expect this look in that one. It's like, yes, but if you want that it's here. You know, it's available here and here's where you can get it. So even when it comes down to aesthetics, sometimes you move someone to a product line. If that's the most the most important thing for them, here's where we go to get that, um, ideally. Because we'll just look at the three product lines we that we had mentioned or I had mentioned earlier with solid surface materials and quartz materials and the, and the, the high-performance porcelains. They're all really, really good. They all perform beautifully in slightly different ways for, for consumers. And that, and I say consumers, whether it's commercial or residential, this applies to commercial work as well. Um, perhaps even more so, because they've got thousands of people using a bathroom in a, in a public build, a public restroom in a building, as opposed to one family. So it's even, it takes even more than, um, but they're all out there. And then it comes down to, well, we, we've solved what it needs to do. Now, how do we, what, how do we make it look? What's what's the beauty of it behind the the strength of it? You now it's it's sort of tough beauty at some point um, with 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 materials, and that's exciting. And then what do I need it to do? And we look at um, you know the MR walls um, that happens with with solid surface, and that you can carve it and and thermoform it. And then we have translucent ones that can be backlit. It's like oh, you could have a countertop in a bar area that's all backlit. And that would be incredible. And, but people don't know, you know, you can start thinking those things through and educating people further on that. If we do that, here's what, here's how we do it. Um, so that I think that education that helps with the editing process is just key for consumers, fabricators, because they learn back from the consumers. And then certainly, and then getting that, that person in the middle, that design person in there, um, if they're working with someone. And it's a valid question to ask, are you working with a designer anywhere? You know, I'm not trying to get in on their territory or no one's trying to take anything away from everybody else. We just need to all talk together to make the best decisions. For sure. And For I yourself. love the I love the part of, you know, specifying the material, but then the fabricator brings the what happens in the fab process and that that critical educational piece. 
you know, to the designer, to the end user that will affect the outcome that they're imagining, right? Again, all about setting expectations. Yeah. Love that part. Really so important to have good partners all around, right? Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, yeah, it's huge. And we, it's our everything, really. I mean, that's what, that's what makes that whole process because there are so many factors involved from where even, you're at to the development, to the, to the end when it's installed. It's amazing. Um, even reps. I mean, just working with sales reps, I saw, I was on a, a panel discussion call recently. They're asking people about working with their reps and how important are the reps to you, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. And I said, they're gold for, and it doesn't matter if it's a surface material or a textile or, you know, you're lighting people that can tell you something new you know, materials or lighting sources, any of those things. Those are, they're key because they're, they're an, a yet another level that can help you through those things. And they're in the field as well. So they can provide great insight, um, certainly to the professional side, not necessarily the consumer so much, but to the professional side, um, the designers, the fabricators, the retailers, they can get, you know, really just great information from them. And then what do we do in development? We go back to the reps and say, what are you hearing on the street? You know, we yeah. know what we're hearing. We go out and, you know, do this, or if we're practicing still in design, you get things firsthand as well. But what do you have? What are you hearing as well? So you balance it all through. Um, the filter that we always have the lens, maybe it's not so much filter. Oh, it's a little bit of both, actually. We have to look through a lens to the future to say how what 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 is our anticipated evolution? You know, what's coming down the pike? How do we best answer that? Um, considering that things can happen on a, you know, after things to use an old saying, you have to turn on a dime, but how do we work around that? How do we anticipate that? Um, and then with the filter, how do we make that work? So it's all well and good to say, oh, um, here's a good fashion reference. Valentino did an entire show where everything was pink, bright, hot pink. The clothes, the, the floor, the runway, the walls, everything was pink. I know we're not going to sell a lot of pink countertops. You know, it's fun and it's cool looking and it's exciting, but generally you can kind of figure that's not going to sell a lot. You're not going to see a lot of people specify that. They'll like it. They'll get excited about it, but it probably isn't going to be their living space day to day. So here's a good, excuse me, a good example. That goes trend direction. That's really hot in the world. Everyone's talking about it. I see materials coming out of that. What do we need to do to work with that? What type of surface color do we have to have? What kind of aesthetic do we have to have that works really well with this very, very exciting new color that's going to like take over the world in no time at all? So how do we address that? Um, Was it a warm pink? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's <laughs> of course, a, it was a warm. Thing. A lot of a lot of warmth to the color. Yeah, because it could have gone blue, but it didn't. I mean, right. And, I was wondering. I, yeah. Once it hit some of the stores, I wanted to see it in real life as opposed to seeing it on screen because you know I wasn't at these shows. Um, so then you, you hit some of the stores, going, okay, I see where they're going with this, um, and those photographs, and you're like, oh, this is nice. This is you know, like what what do we play with this? Um, so that yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. And I and I didn't mention um yet. I talked a little bit about color. And what we look at a lot because we we have some colors, we have some nice greens um coming coming in there, they're in the in some of the product lines. There are some golds and some yellows, there's some really nice blues in the products as well. 
simple and easy to use, which they need to be. It can't be too crazy because there's all these other things going on in the space. These need to be good, good coordinates to them. And that's where the key comes in when you look at a palette that is relatively neutral. And we're always looking at adding color. So we have some colors that we're working in there. So it's very, you know, we're, we're careful about how we do it and what types we use. But the overarching is knowing that there's a lot of neutrality from white to black and every, you know, sort of beige gray, everything in between to give it that neutral moniker. What do those need to go with? What do they need to look at look like to go with the navy blue cabinet or a dark green cabinet or a pink if someone does that? You know, what do we have to have that works with all those other pieces? It comes back to researching what the other product lines are that we're always looking at. Um, and I include flooring and lighting and all kinds of other things in there as well, knowing they're going into a space. Um, so, so that's part of it. It's like, so you'll look and you'll go, wow, there's not a lot of color here, but oh, wait, these look good with a lot of colors. And that's the point. Um, so when people bring those into their spaces, what's there that works with all those pieces as well? And how can you be um, a more expansive collection with other colors without having the colors? I love that. And I love that from a fabricator's perspective that um, if you're developing a, um, you know, a palette that is a stocking program of really identifying the colors that would be that neutrality sort of theme, right? You, you need to make sure that those go with so many other colors that are relevant. It's, it's that, that makes so much sense. And I'm not sure that, uh, you know, that, that, that tie-in is made, right? And it, it's so important uh, to do that. And, you know, to, to imagine Mrs. Jones and her Valentino <laughs> handbag sitting on her countertop and she wants that bag to look nice. I promise you. She no, does. Absolutely. <laughs> she absolutely, she needs it to be, Right. So, you know, thinking in that mode, it really can change the the decisions that you make about a potential stocking program. And ultimately, it will affect the success of that program. Right. How, how yep. widely it's adopted and how much inventory you can move. That's uh, that's amazing. And we do some help on that as well. We actually try to design some assemblance of stocking programs as well that people can choose from and say we've kind of vetted these already we know how these are going those are good they fall into these categories so that's a good place to start too is you know go to your local rep and say okay do you have anything like that and what do you have i'm not sure that everybody does it i know that we do um at corian design um and then say well what's what's is there is there a specific program for this what do you suggest um and then work from there because they will have been to everybody else in an area and will they will have good a good line on the area as well um, to what consumers are looking for and what's what's doing well um, in the market, but knowing that that changes. Well, Mark, thank you so much for um, for your time today. I, so many things, so many takeaways for a fabricator, especially in the stocking sure. world and dealing with customers. And you know, thanks to our sponsor uh, Dupont. And if you're interested in learning more about um, becoming a member of ISFA, you can shoot me a line at nancy@ispanel.org. At the very least, check out our magazine, Countertops and Architectural Surfaces, on uh, surfacesmagazine.com. And with that, I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks again, Mark. Great. Thank you very much. You all take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. 
To hear more in-depth viewpoints, gain actionable insights and powerful tools to help you succeed, subscribe to the Behind the Surface podcast presented by the International Surface Fabricators Association. To learn more about ISFA, visit our website at www.isfanow.org.